You're listening to Creatives Making Money, the podcast for creatives who are on a mission to do the work they feel most called to do and make some money while they do it. This is a show for the makers, the dreamers, the doers, the creators, the artists, the crazy ones, and the ones who are determined to consciously build the life and career of their dreams. Here, we don't just believe in getting your dream job, we believe in creating it. So what does creative success even look like? How do we live a fully expressed, abundant AF life? That's precisely what we're here to find out. My mission with Creatives Making Money is to conduct 100 interviews with successful creatives and those who love and support them about money, career, and the process of making and doing what they most love, including all of the ups, downs, and in-betweens. I'm your host, Jamie Jensen, writer, storyteller, filmmaker, serial entrepreneur, and shameless creator. No matter where you are in your creative and financial journey, I'm here to help you create like you mean it. Hello, and welcome to the Creatives Making Money podcast. Today, I have Christine Aller here with me. Christine is a master coach and strategist who guides clients through groundbreaking chapters of personal and professional growth the big decisions, the tough conversations, and the significant shifts. Every month for 20 consecutive years, she has led multiple mastermind groups. I have been very blessed to be a part of one of these groups, actually, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, And she's helped hundreds of multi-hyphenate creatives, raise your hand if you can identify with that, expand their careers and develop supplemental streams of income to fund their artistic pursuits. She's the author of the book, Feeding Your Focus, and host of the podcast, Creating Cashflow. She is also a Golden Circle member of the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. The three words that delight her the most are before and after. Hi, Christine. Hi, Jamie. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. It is such a delight to be here. <laughs> I mean, creatives making money, like well, what else is there? <laughs> <laughs> There's so actually quite a lot, but for the world you and I spin in, it's basically all that there is. <laughs> What else do we even care about? Is there anything else? Yes, there's so much else actually, um, but not for us. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Um, yeah, so I would like to kind of start by, you're incredible and I'm so excited to just like dive into everything Christine today. And I want to kind of start with your story of how you ended up hosting mastermind groups like where did that even come from and I know a lot of the a lot of the audience that resonates with you or that you're sort of in front of has been a lot of actors historically right there's been like a good amount of of that audience you've been in front of so I'm curious to hear like how did you get into to that how did that all evolve and unfold for you yeah so out of the womb I wanted to be an actor That's what I went to college for, graduated college, come back to my hometown, happens to be Los Angeles. Back in town, back in the day, old school, pre-internet, there was this organization called the Actors Network that I was uh, lucky enough to discover, but smart enough to join. And it was about teaching actors how to have a more professional business and how to network. And really the type of people who are attracted to this organization were top-notch, really smart creatives and actors. And they had these things called power groups, 
which you met once a month with 30 other people in the group, and you were there to talk about your past progress from the past 30 days and what you intended to do for the next 30 days. So it was like support and accountability. And as the organization grew, the founder who was leading the power groups was like, I need other people to lead the power groups. And I was offered that. And just instinctively, I was like, yes. Although I was also like, wow, you want me to do this? Like, okay. okay. I didn't quite know what he saw in me that made him think I would be good at this. But my whole body was like, hell yeah. So I led groups for 11 years at that organization. And I had multiple groups a month, every single month, 30 people. And it is in that forum, those 10,000 hours where I really learned how to listen and discern and then eventually coach. And there were about 10 groups. And at the end I had two and mine were the only two with waiting lists because people heard just about how a little bit better because I was, I think because I was coaching in the group. And, but what that taught me too, one, the power and magic of what can happen in a group, but also the energy a group can create in and of itself. Because when someone's on a waiting list and then they get in, they're raring to go and they want to be there. And it wasn't just my brilliance that was making these groups so great. It was the fact that everybody who was coming into them had this energy and no one wanted to leave them because they knew they couldn't just rejoin easily. So it was just a great demonstration of, of the synergy and energy that a group can have for itself beyond the facilitator. The facilitator can mess up that energy, but the facilitator doesn't have to necessarily create the energy. So I did that for 11 years. And during that arc, I was an actor. I discovered professional organizing. I fell in love with that because when I was an actor, this was back before YouTube, before we had the technology available for us to make our own stuff. It was very expensive back then if you wanted to do your own project. So I felt like a thoroughbred kind of behind the gates waiting for someone to open the gates so I could run, be invited to the party. And nowadays you can create your own party, which is amazing. But back then, no. And so eventually I came to a point where I knew if I focused on the acting, it would grow. And I knew if I focused on the organizing, it would grow. And I went to my agents because I figured, you know, when, when actresses get pregnant, sometimes they'll, they'll take a hiatus. So I'm just going to not get pregnant, but take a hiatus and see what happens if I turn my full-time attention to the organizing business. And I never went back um, because it just exploded and it filled me in all the ways that acting also filled me, which taught me a really important lesson. We each have superpowers, like things that we just do. They don't feel super to us, but people are like, wow, we take our superpowers with us no matter what we do, no matter our vocation or our job, we take our superpowers and plug them into what we're doing. I thought I was leaving acting and all of that behind when actually I was just unplugging my superpowers from acting and plugging them into organizing, which is why I think I didn't 
miss. Nobody misses the business of getting work as an actor. Nobody. But I just didn't miss the profession because I was fully fulfilled. I didn't know I wasn't going to miss it. I totally was worried I'd turn on the TV and be like, that should be me. But I never felt that. So then off I was as an organizer. So I was still leading actor power groups at the Actors Network. And eventually I was like, well, I think I need to call this a day. And the minute I announced that I was stepping back, uh, a member of the group was like, no, wait, no, no, we need to still do this with you. How do we pay you? Like, how do we keep this going? And I was like, what? It never occurred to me that someone would pay me to do that. And so I was like, well, okay. And so I started a group. It met in another member's house because she was like, I'll host it. We'll do this. And, and then a gal who couldn't get into that group was like, well, you need to start another group. And I was like, what? <laughs> that wasn't on my agenda either. And, but I was like, well, help me get some people. And then eventually I had two groups and, and I've been doing that since 2011. So altogether, it's been 20 years. Of Lee. And I've had other different mastermind groups online, different iterations, one for parents or one for small business owners, like different iterations whenever the needs seem to arise within the people that I knew how to reach. Yeah, but it's my favorite thing. I love it so much, coaching in the group format. So let me get this straight. You did it for 11 years before you realized that people, you could just charge people for it. And like, it was its own business. I'm not and I don't ask that with like, <laughs> there's a shame undertone here. I'm literally just like, I just want us all to hear that because I think that there's like, it's an important message around. I mean, by the way, I'm going to say this. And you're going to be like, that's not what I said. <laughs> oh, no message. I take it back. Like how much is available to us that we're not like consciously seeing in any moment? You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean because my whole career has been completely organically unfolded. The only thing I ever said, I want to do this, like from scratch was when I was like little and was like, I'm going to be an actor. The organizing thing, I had been doing it at every single little job that I'd had. And then I would get bored at the job because everything was organized and now running absolutely smoothly. And I had even said to myself, gosh, I wish this was like, I could just go into a business, organize it and leave, but no one would pay me for that. This was before Google. <laughs> but one day I was reading this one-page article in a random Time magazine that profiled this man who only his whole niche was organizing the desks of executives. But that was the first time I saw the words professional organizer, like as a thing. The next day I was printing up business cards going, I can, I can do that. That's a thing. If one other guy's doing that, I can do that too. And so, but that was just kind of, organically hit me. The invitation to run the power groups was somebody else seeing something in me. And then the way I got into coaching was that one of my organizing clients who happened to be a really big top voiceover artist had me over to streamline the administration of his office. 
because his goal was to kind of make more money in his, the teaching part of his career and work less in that, earn more work less. But as he was talking, all these thoughts started coming to my head about how he could reorganize his business, like the whole thing, to earn more work less. But then my little dialogue I was having in my head was, yeah, but he didn't have you over here to do that. He wants you to go organize his office. But because I had a relationship with him, because I took one of his classes previously, I took a risk. It felt like a risk to be like, okay, um, so I'm just going to share some ideas that I have. And if you don't want to talk about it, we'll just go into your office and you can forget about it. And I laid out this whole plan. And then he said, well, how do I pay you for that to help me with that? And that was the first time I realized that someone wanted to pay me just for my thoughts, which is better than moving boxes around. And I was like, <laughs> how do I do that? And then of course, and he tripled his income in the course of that year. He tripled his teaching income. And then he started sharing me with his people. And that's how the whole coaching strategy part started Plus, I recognized that there was a real gap of need in the artistic community. So many actors wanted managers because they wanted a strategist for their career, but not all managers are strategists. You're lucky if you get a manager who is a strategist. And I'm like, well, I can do the strategy part, at least tell you some things you can get started in, the, in an efficient order. So that's how that part started. And then back... When I first started my little organizing side hustle biz and got it off the ground and it was moving and shaking, my actor friends started asking me, oh, well, how, how, uh, teach me how to have a business like that. Teach me how to get some cash flow. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and I made a little class. And at least I knew if I, you're going to teach it, you might as well record it and then sell it. <laughs> I was at least that clear. But this has been a circuitous path based on other people, most often, recognizing what I had to offer and then asking me. And then the part I did was I said yes and stepped into something that felt bigger than I thought I could be. I'll give myself that credit. But most of the ideas were not mine. Yeah. You kind of just responded and said yes and moved into it even when it was uncomfortable. Oh yeah. Yeah. Were, the, were there, so I just have such a curiosity about this. It's like a personal curiosity, but I think for anyone listening who identifies as a multi-hyphenate, mm -hmm. you know, hearing you say, I just like didn't miss acting, you know, I feel like there, there's a lot, like there's so much fear in releasing a previous identity or a previous mode of expression or, or a craft or, um, or even like releasing it or to step into something else. It's like, I have friends who are actors who feel weird about taking on the identity of like writer or director or like step or producer stepping into different roles within the industry and within even how they're showing up for their work. And so I'm just curious to hear from you and your experience. Is there a guideline you recommend to people or you give to people around like, like knowing if you really want to leave something in the past and sort of shed it versus like find a different way to have it interact with how you operate. Yeah. And the, I didn't miss acting was the end result 
it took me 18 months to make the decision to take the hiatus, which wasn't even making the decision to step away. That was just making the decision to step away for eight months. That was the deal with my agent. So it was a very gradual process, precisely because I felt I was giving up my identity because I didn't realize my identity was an actor. My identity was my superpowers, my analytical mind, my ability to um, understand people's emotions and guide them through the arc of a story or the arc of a journey of reinventing their space. You know, so that I didn't know at that point. So I literally thought I'm leaving this identity that I had declared from my birth. And what was I leaving it for? To move pencils around? I thought people were going to think, A, of course, because organizing is not glamorous, acting is glamorous. So why would you make this move? I thought people were going to think that I had failed at acting or given up or just am running towards something safer. I didn't think they'd ever understand how much I loved organizing. And so it was a real identity crisis that took 18 months. Now, the smart thing I did and the thing that I also recommend to people is you don't have to just shift completely. I didn't just stop acting. And I, tr I found a way to be like, okay, I'm going to keep one, the door open over here while I experiment with what it would be like. Because it could have been like I turned my full attention toward it. I missed acting terribly. And I went back to doing both. It could have been that. Or it could have been I turned my full attention to organizing and I realized, oh, there wasn't the juice there. Like there wasn't the client. There wasn't more. You know, and I went back to acting and it would have pursued acting more and kind of reduced the organizing probably had that been the case. But what happens is it exploded. And that made, of course, it eat. And I realized I didn't miss the acting, but I wouldn't have known that unless I tried. You have to kind of try to see. A lot of times people just want to know before. And there's no way to do that without experimenting. It's like, I, uh, as a visual, whenever you're reaching or trying to get to it, the new thing, it's like you have your hand still holding on to the old thing and there comes a point where to go that final inch you have to let go you know so it but there's a but there's a lot in between the having to let go for the final inch and all that space is the experimental space what can we do to experiment to see to see to see i'm not eggs in one basket kind of girl and I still get the butterflies every time I would raise my prices or I remember, I remember like in my body, what it felt like the day I let go of my very last survival job. And I was pacing around the apartment we had and I was like, okay, okay, universe. Okay. I just want to make my money acting and organizing. And I was scared that that was impossible, but I'm like, but I have to try. And I just was like, well, I can always get another day job. I can always get another survival job. But I was willing to experiment, to see. Yeah. Do you think that that level of commitment matters in, like, on, an, like on, on a woo-woo level, on a spiritual <laughs> level? 
Um, or do you kind of think that like it'll unfold the way it's supposed to unfold no matter what? You know, the stories, whenever you hear me talk about the universe, I told the universe this, the universe told me this, that's just a story I'm making up to make myself feel better. That is not just a blank void out there. <laughs> you know, it's, we most, I, I personally, I think everything is fiction. Everything is fiction. So you can either weave yourself a story that makes you feel good or weave yourself a story that makes you feel bad. And in order to take risks and do experiments and say yes before you're really 100% sure you can deliver, you have to start speaking to yourself in ways that make you courageous enough to do it. It's like, what story am I going to tell myself? So I was like, okay, universe, pretending somebody has my back and it's not just me. We're going to do this. This is what I want. Work your magic, whatever. Because that just made me feel like I could try. So I think that there's a, I think it's a mixture. I really do feel there's some things that things will just unfold. And I think that things are going to happen as we have all now realized there life is going to crash into your life. And that has nothing to do with your, I think has nothing to do with your karma or your, I mean, unless the world has just really bad karma, we're all suffering from the pandemic. It's not karma. It's not your negative thinking that's attracting it. It's just life crashing into life because we're living humans on the planet earth, like whatever. And then I think we have a, what I call a sphere of influence. And that's kind of small. We like to call it control. <laughs> I do. I should say, I have referred to it as controlling in the past, but I have realized now at age 49, that control is an illusion, but we do have a sphere of influence. And that's what I'm always interested in cleaning up with people. It's like, I mean, if the stuff that is under your influence you're not tending to, then what do you expect? You have a lot of control here. So let's clean this up. And, and fundamentally is the self-talk you're talking inside your head and the stories you're telling yourself. Yeah, I love I, that. My theory is that, again, if the universe, like if, if my destiny or whatever was to be a professional organizer, and the first opportunity came and I had decided not to take it for whatever reason, another opportunity would come. It would still be like, we think this is the path that you might enjoy and should walk down because it will teach you things that will lead you to the next evolution towards your expanding into your full potential. And I think we'll just keep being given the nudges. I don't think we ever lose out on the opportunity and I don't think we can necessarily make it go faster, but I think we can put on the brakes. Yeah. And just stay or make it go very slowly. Yeah. You and I have talked about that before where we're like, I don't think we, like, we can't like speed it up, but you can definitely slow yourself down. Yeah. One of the things that you touched on, which is it's a model for part of how you do your mastermind groups is the, the lizard brain stuff. <laughs> So I was wondering if you might be willing to do like a little mini like explanation of what like what that that little method that you use and sort of what it means that if you're open yeah. to it. So I call it the lizard brain 
The wonderful writer Anne Lamont calls it K-Fucked Radio Station. If you're tuning into K-Fucked, guess what you're going to get? You know what songs they're going to play. So I call it the lizard brain, which is that little voice that crawls out and loves to just be like, tell you anything just to get you back inside the comfort zone, back inside the cave. Let's not cause any waves. We're comfortable in here. And it will just pick whatever it knows. It doesn't want to expend a lot of energy, so it'll pick whatever it knows is the easiest way to get you to do your thing. So often what it says is, well, don't do that because you'll die. That's its basic message. Well, don't do that because you'll explode and die. That's the fear, the primal fear that comes up when we are, and when does it come up? Anytime we're going outside of our comfort zone. That is the trigger, just outside of your comfort zone. For me, walking into a giant room full of people that I have to network with and work the room, oh God, oh God, nope, nope, I'm going to die and explode, you know, my little introverted self. So we all have it, we've all felt it. So my theory is you have to test the theory. So the lizard brain is telling you you will die. So we have to do something to prove that you won't. Or else how will you know? So I use these things, I just call them expansion experiments. We're gonna do a little experiment that tests the theory of the lizard brain. Now, right now, I have this thing called um, Creating Cash Flow. It's a podcast, it's a course, and it's a community that I would like to have grow because I really, this is just something I feel like it's mine to give back to my beloved community of entrepreneurial, solopreneurs, creatives, artists, all those lovely people. But my lizard brain like has a beach chair that it's set up in my brain. It's kicking back. It has a drink. And I'm like, how long, he's like, how long am I going to be here really to convince you that this is never going to work? You're never going to be able to reach enough people. You hate social media and haven't really ever done it. So you don't have the platform, you know, just all the reasons all the time. And it's, that's what it's telling me because one of my old, old little childhood bruises, and it's just picking the bruise to push that I already have, is the feeling of being rejected socially. I have felt it. I have been picked last for PE my entire PE career, you know? Um, and so this feels like that. Oh God, no one's gonna wanna do it. So I have to get up every day and do little experiments to prove that that's not true, that I'm not going to die if I send out an email announcing my podcast, that I'm not going to die. And just over time, it's like little evidence starts to come in of like, oh, well, you didn't die there. Oh, someone wanted to interview you about that. Oh, okay. 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 And over time, you build this pyramid of proof to the contrary of what your lizard and the lizard will slink away. And then it comes out again. And then you just point to your pyramid of proof and go, no, 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 no. I'm going to believe this rather than you, you know? So, but you have to do the experiment because you have to get tangible proof because if you're just going to try to counter your lizard brain with affirmations of no, the people are coming in and da, 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 just 
the affirmations. Affirmations are a tool. They're, it's, a, it's a good tool, but your brain calls bullshit on them. If there's nothing, no tangible proof kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So the experiment gives you the piece of the pieces of tangible proof that your brain can be like, oh, okay, well, I guess we have proof. Does that encapsulate it? Yeah. I think okay. that was a great explanation because it, it's just, it's, it, that's all about like the story you're making up and what you're telling yourself. And I think, you know, you and I are both super into the story thing on so many levels. And I think it's just the way that you approach that is so, um, it's just really digestible and easy and such a brilliant method. So I thank you for sharing it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, that's one of the, I mean, when you joined the mastermind group, it was very much game recognizing game. I'm like, Oh, I see who's sitting over there. Someone with a, a great set of superpowers yourself as the, when you would respond to people, I'm very good at noticing how people listen and if they're actually listening to the question that's being asked or if they're answering from their own stuff. And I could really see that when you gave feedback to the other members, it was so um, precise. It was for that person, but based on what that person wanted and needed to hear at the moment. And that shows me someone who's honed that skill. Like you knew what you were doing and I could see you knew what you were doing. And it was like, oh, nice. Okay. She's got miles under her with regard to teaching and coaching. And so that was really so lovely to see. I was like, ooh, eat her up. And then of course, the whole understanding of story and how you help people express the well, you can help people express a lot of different things, but one of the things you can help people express is the best framed story of themselves even, or the best framed story of their idea that they want to get out in the world. And that is such a skill and so important. But I think the working of that muscle for people before necessarily they can apply it to their bio or their business is to start applying it just to their day-to-day -day things that happen. Like, oh, my keyboard start, stopped working. What are you going to make that mean? What is the story now around the keyboard not working and the mercury and retrograde? And oh, this always happens to me. And I'm no, cursed. It like, we can go there. <laughs> <laughs> we can go there. Or, oh, that sucks. Now I have to get a new keyboard. Oh, yeah. I go there all the time still. I 100% do. There's like, I don't even pretend that I have it all together all the time because that would be a lie. I'm still human. Um, I appreciate those words of affirmation. Um, and I want to talk more about your cash flow stuff that you're working on and the workshop that you have, um, which will include a link in the show notes too, for sure. Cause it's just such an excellent resource. Um, what are the big kind of, you know, I want to call them like cash flow hiccups or sort of issues that you see that people come up, show up with consistently? Like what are the most consistent? I don't want to say, I don't want to use the word blocks, but it's like interruptions or challenges that you see creative people sort of bumping up against in your work with them. 
and what do you, what's you know the guidance around that? Yeah, for creatives especially, I just call them lies because it's a not true story. Um, the first one is I'm less of an artist if I have a side biz or if I take my attention away from this artistic pursuit, it means I'm less of this. So that goes back to your initial thing about people even having trouble going, I want to be an actor and a writer or a writer and a director. It's like, what does that and mean about the first thing? Am I running away? Am I quitting? Are people going to think that, oh, well, I couldn't do that. So I'm going to try this or I'm flaky in both or I'm not very good in both because how could you be good at two things? That's just, how could that happen? And what I actually love is because my mastermind group started out as all actors, but just over the 20 year period, actors became incredibly multi-hyphenate. It was almost a thing that happened. And it was so glorious because very much, you know, when I left college, it was like, what are you going to be? One thing. And that's, that's a falsehood. That's a a false construct of our schooling because at the end of high school, you're, you're asked to declare something for your, like one thing. You're not able, you're not allowed, especially back then, even to mash up your degree as much or make it something unique. So that's just a stupid false concept. And so over the years, actors have become multi-hyphenate and also very entrepreneurial. They've had to be, but also our options with technology has just opened up the field so much more. So I love it. And having, so the lie is I'm less of an artist if I have a side biz or something else. And that's just a story. And you could also tell yourself the story that I'm building a bigger set of business muscles because I have both. Or I am embracing a larger scope of the story, of shepherding a story forward. I can shepherd a story forward this way or this way or this way. But what if I call myself in my head a story shepherder? And I can do it acting or writing or directing. So that's one lie. Another lie, a side business will hurt my career or overshadow or overtake my career. Usually that comes from the smart, capable people who know that whatever they put their attention to will grow. So they're like, oh, well, if I put my attention to a little business, I see how I can make that work. And with a side thing, you want to keep it on the side. But most people are concerned that the business or writing will overtake my acting. Well, it's not that writing is growing too big or your side business growing too big. It's that you likely don't have a clear plan of action for the acting or the whatever the primary focus is. Because as humans, we are attracted to structure. We are attracted to a plan of action which is why if someone asks you to help them move on a Saturday, the only Saturday you have open for four months, you will be like, yeah, moving. I understand moving. You'll pay me 50 bucks. This is great. I know what to do versus 
spending that same day working on their marketing. The vague non-planned thing that just seems so amorphous that they know they need to know, but aren't sure how to tackle. No, I'll do the plan. And that's why actors who, or anybody, can get very tied up in a day job. I'm not talking about a side biz for them. I'm talking about just the day job. It's because the paycheck and the pat on the head and the structure. So we have to make our creative stuff as compelling. Dress it up in sequins and, and a boa and make it fancy and exciting. Another story, it's too risky. It's also risky not to be able to know how to create income. These days, that should be an, an, a given. We're seeing the evidence everywhere. It's too risky not to know how to do this for yourself. I don't have anything I can do that people will pay me for. <laughs> if you are a multi-hyphenate creative, if you're a singular creative, creatives are the most creative people, but in order to get to the level where you're functioning somewhat as a creative person and keeping yourself afloat in any way, you've got skills. So that's just a story. And I think the story isn't, I don't have anything to offer. I think the real story is everybody's already doing everything. Everything's already been done. Like, do we need another organizer in the world? Well, if you stand on a mountain and look down at all the garages that exist in the world, I can tell you there's endless amounts of work. <laughs> there's just endless. And, and of course, each of us individually has our unique way of doing that. But that's a whole other discussion. Another story, oh, it's going to take too long. I mean, if I didn't start anything, I wouldn't have it now. There's part of you that has to play the long game in terms of um, creating income streams. It doesn't happen super quickly, but it happens. Like, that's the thing, it, it does happen. Been. So you have to start. I don't have the time. I mean, that, I think that story, that's your lizard brain crawling out going, you don't have the time. Look, you barely have time to do what you're doing now. How can you even think of trying to create an income stream? But if you know what to do with two hours in a week and you know how to use those two hours, you can move forward in a way that if someone has 12 hours in a week to devote to creating streams of income and they don't know what to do with those 12 hours, they will move much slower. It's not just about the time. It's also about strategically using the time. And when I say strategy, a lot of people who come and work with me um, as a coach, they're doing the right things because they're not, not intelligent but they're often doing them in, the, in a, the wrong order or a, a less advantageous order so that one thing is building upon the next is building upon the next instead of just doing this and then doing this and doing this and doing this and hoping they all connect at some point. So strategy is super important and that's what I built creating cash flow to impart is like here's how to do it in a way that will use less energy and get you there faster. And then the, the final live story that I have, hear people tell all the time is like, well, I already tried it. Or my friend's boyfriend's cousin tried it. They tried a side business. It didn't work. 
or I tried it before and it didn't work. And my reply is, well, you didn't try it with me. <laughs> you didn't try it with me as your guide. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. Like, okay, you tried it, but like, how much did you try? How long did you try? And then how did you actually do it? But these are stories. All of those are just the lizard brain coming out going, don't try because it's scary and we don't know how it will work. The lizard brain isn't lying to you. But that story is just as true as the story of, well, let me experiment and get some guidance and then get some support and accountability and start making some steps and see what happens. Yep. Preach, mic drop. (laughs) It's true. It's just all true. Um, Well, Obviously, Christine has so much value, and I really, really, really encourage anyone listening to go check out her course, her workshop. Um, it's available 24-7. It's a free workshop, and it is at christineoller.com slash cashflow. We will be including the link in the show notes for sure. Uh, and before we wrap up, Christine, I have to ask you the $5 million question. <laughs> which is if $5 million dropped into your lap, no strings attached, no creepy investors, no interests, no nothing, it's here you go. You can distribute and use this money any way you choose. How would you choose to allocate and use those resources? I would split it in half and I would put half of it away in a way where it would generate income to have a regular stream of income just from that money. And I would take the other part of it. And this is a personal answer based on my circumstances right now, but I would definitely spend it making my, my sister who is um, disabled and unfortunately dying right now, um, I definitely would make her life as easy as possible. And I think I would donate the money we didn't use, you know, living in Maui for another six months <laughs> with her or wherever, um, probably donate it to uh, organizations that could continue to help people in her situation have an easier time of it. You know, as much as I know and believe and have seen, and all I do is work towards helping myself and others' lives expand, I have witnessed what it looks like when a life involuntarily contracts. And that gives me great empathy and acknowledgement of the the luck and privilege that goes into being able to sit here and go, I'm pursuing my creative desires. It's like, what a privilege. And that alone, that acknowledgement of, of how lucky to, you know, quote Hamilton, how lucky we are to be alive right now. If you're listening to this podcast, you're one of the lucky ones. Use that as a source of strength to run an expansion experiment 
and to do an experiment and try and to creep outside your comfort zone and to tell the lizard brain to go back in the cage. Use that because my sister wishes she could do that right now. And so I'm driven to use my life as much as I possibly can. So I would use that money to help me use my life in this way. Yeah. Long answer. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's a beautiful answer. And I think, I think it might've been the most valuable part of the episode, honestly. So I really appreciate you being willing just, to be vulnerable and share. Yeah. What would you like to share? You. There's something else that wanted to come out. Well, what's interesting is there's a podcast I listen to and the last question, it's a podcast about entrepreneurs. And the last question the host always asks is, um, what do you think was the key to your success? Luck or hard work? I don't really like that question. And I never, and I've listened to all the episodes and I've never found someone to give the answer that I feel is a satisfactory one. Most of the people acknowledge that luck played a great part. And, but then they're always like, and you know, I worked their, my ass off a hundred percent. You got to work. What I wish they would acknowledge isn't that luck played a factor. I'm glad they at least acknowledge that, but luck very often comes first and Luck is what enables you to put in the hard work, the luck of being able-bodied, the luck of your privilege and your background and your natural cognitive abilities and your innate talents and the ability to find support of other people who can guide you and to be able to buy that or find it or get it or attract it or whatever. That is so much luck and it comes first. That would be my answer. And then put in the hard work <laughs> after that. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I'm so glad you shared that. It's so important. I think it's especially important when we operate in a world where there's like constant spiritual bypassing of, of like all the uncontrollable factors. And I feel like what you're saying is, is like the truth is that really our limitations like have a ceiling and as much as the ego wants to be like, congratulations, you did all of this, like, good job. And I think that there are a lot of self-congratulatory entrepreneurs who are like, I'm so successful and it's all me. And it's like, that's no one saying you didn't work your ass off, but also let's look at all of the other factors that like, <laughs> I mean, literally there's a million and one different factors that lead to privilege. And some of them are, are like, obviously related to like background and, and like, what's your race and where do you live and what's your zip code and what's your ethnic background and right. There's all of those pieces. And then there's the pieces that are just like, were you, was the synchronicity just on point for you? And were you able to like live to, as long and as healthy? And so I just think, you know, I think it's really important to acknowledge and I'm glad that you did. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for you. Thank you for you, for Christine. Wonderful space and sharing me with your audience. Thank you, Jamie. <laughs> oh my God. They're going to love you. Christine, thank you so much. Is there anywhere else in particular? We're going to put all these links in the show notes. Um, she's at christineoller.com. She's christineoller on Instagram. And um, we'll be tagging her everywhere and including her in the show notes. 
Hey, if you're a writer entrepreneur ready to grow your business to multiple six figures while also getting your personal writing done and making an impact, I created Craft and Cashflow for you. This Creative Leadership Collective is a 12-month program that will help you implement the exact steps I took to grow from six to multiple six figures, churn out writing work that got me attention and enthusiastic collaborators, and make a difference. We get started September 7th, and I'm so excited. If you're curious to learn more about this virtual group program where you'll get tons of personal attention, coaching, and strategy on your writing and your business, and even some energy work and healing too, let's talk. I've opened up a few times in my calendar for quick chats just for this. You can head to creativesmakingmoney.com slash chat to grab a time. Speak soon. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Creatives Making Money, and please don't go anywhere without subscribing. My hope is that the show becomes the therapy you didn't have to pay for and gives you all the know-how, confidence, and ahas you need to succeed on your journey. Sharing how you connected with this episode really makes my day. So please tag me on Instagram at Jamie Lynn Jensen and let me know how this episode helped you. Sharing that with a rating and review also helps me reach more awesome humans like you and I so appreciate it. If you're looking to connect with more listeners and like-minded creatives like you as well and also with me, please join us in the private Creatives Making Money Facebook group at creativesmakingmoney.com group. It's totally free to join. And as always, you can find all important links and details in this episode's show notes available at creativesmakingmoney.com. Do not hesitate to head over there right now and grab all the goodies. And as always, create like you mean it.